Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is a nationally known gerontologist, executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and we're delighted to have you here and a chance to talk about something that you only live and breathe every day, and that uh, will be our first guest, Odell Glenn Jr., talking about caregiving, and he's got 200 caregiver tips learned the hard way doing it himself. That's right. So we're going to have him list all 200 tips. Well, maybe not all 200 tips. <laughs> He's listening, so we'll see how many he can come up with, right? Take his book away. He'll That's have right. To do he it has off, to close his eyes. Off the top of his head. That'll be coming up in just a minute. Now, before that, uh, every year there's an update from the Alzheimer's Association of America on where we are as a nation uh, with Alzheimer's, and, and you've got the latest. Well, and actually, it's, this is the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, which is different from the Alzheimer's Association. They're an advocacy group uh, as opposed to the research group, so Alzheimer's Foundation. Uh, and they recently co-chaired an initiative um, at the Bipartisan Policy Center on long-term care. Uh, and this is an issue that really impacts caregivers. The whole non-system of long-term care that we have in this country is an extreme concern. It causes, you know, two-thirds of the population, you either have to spend down to poverty or live in poverty if you want to get assistance paying for long-term care. And that's for Medicaid. That, that's for Medicaid because Medicare doesn't pay for a long-term stay permanent stay if you have to place someone. So their recommendations included making private long-term care insurance more affordable and more accessible, because uh, right now, if you're over the age of probably 45, it's already too expensive for you. You have to get in young. Uh, and so it needs to be more affordable, and, and we need more competition. Um, designing a federal policy that has um, some sort of federal long-term care insurance so that it's not all public or all private pay, but there's a mix you know, you can pay into the system. Um, streamlining Medicaid so that you can get services in your home versus having to go to a nursing home. But the most important recommendation, and this is probably, I think, the second time I've read this in the last month, is making a recommendation that Alzheimer's is a physical disability, which it is. Your brain is actually shrinking. There are holes in your brain. You're turning into Swiss cheese. So it's a physical disability that causes you not to be able to function. Um, and it should be people should be able to be eligible for home health benefits. That would mean, you know, in the early stages, being eligible to have someone come to your home and help do attendant services, keep the house picked up, and also personal services, bathing and dressing. Because right now you don't qualify, and in, people who are born with disabilities are eligible, but people who acquire Alzheimer's are not. So that would make them eligible as well for Social Security disability insurance. Well, that way it would it would be a game changer um, in terms of the services for which you're eligible. And since we know Alzheimer's, um, you know, if you're paying for someone in assisted living, a memory care unit in assisted living or a nursing home, you're spending from six thousand to ten thousand dollars a month paying for care. Not many can do that, and not many. I mean, very few can do that. Handful. So this is an important, you know, policy change. It's a fantastic suggestion. It was a real eye-opener. I thought, ooh, why didn't I think of that years ago? 
perhaps a lawsuit that someone will bring asking that that definition of Alzheimer's be included within disability. Right. And, you know, and, and really the people with Alzheimer's are going down the road. The people with traumatic brain injury have been doing for a long time because prior to the war and all of our wounded warriors coming home from Iraq um, and Afghanistan with head injuries, there were literally no programs for traumatic brain injury. There was no eligibility. Some of that is starting to change and it needs to change related to Alzheimer's. Same thing. It's a brain, you know, an acquired brain physiological change. Uh, and we need to be eligible for services. I totally support this idea. Spokesperson for the National Football League has uh, just commented uh, that they now see a link between uh, certain brain diseases, injuries, and football. Oh, that's huge. Yes, and now parents are on mass removing their children from playing football, and they're having to rethink you know, the grass and the astroturf and everything else related to hits that people endure. And soccer, same thing. My wife turned to me the other day and said, our kids are not playing football. See? It's Ever. Right. It's happening in your household. In my very and, household. And it happened in mine as well because, you know, it's like you. there's boxing where people are getting their head beat up. They're not going to be boxers. And, and there's football where you watch them bounce their heads on the ground right. over and over again. So you know the impact has got to be there. We're looking at tennis and golf. Tennis and golf. And All maybe right, chess. Your elbow might get hurt. Chess. Yeah. Chess is excellent. It's very competitive. <laughs> it is. Great. And it's great for your brain. will you know, prevent Alzheimer's. Perfect now, choice. we'll keep you up to date on uh, what happens with uh, the disability uh, definitions and Alzheimer's, but it sure makes sense. By the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Just a couple of moments, we'll be talking with Odell Glenn, Jr., author of a book, Caregiving, the Inspirational Manual, 200 Caregiver Tips with Healthy Lifestyle Benefits. And we will talk with uh, Mr. Odell in just a couple of moments. Now, you've got something hot off the presses. And and folks are going to like this one. Sex and cognitive functioning. I'll repeat that. Sex and cognitive functioning. Yes. You know, some people, there are all kinds of studies. And so recently, um, they used a longitudinal study in England, which means it happened over a period of, um, I don't know, 32 years, where they had 10,000 participants from age 50 to 89, uh, and they filled out surveys about all their activities for this very long period of time. So the questions about sex in later life, out of the 10,000, only about 6,800 actually responded. And of those, only about 4,400 actually reported having sex in the 12 months prior to the survey So for that year. So then the researchers sliced and diced the data, and they isolated sexual activity and cognition. And so they have two tests for cognition. One was for memory, um, and one was for executive functioning. And for men who engaged in sex in later life, they actually did better on both scores. Both, oh. uh, both memory and executive function. So really good for men. And for women, it helped with their memory. It was only statistically significant related to memory. Oh. So, and this is what, what this is what people all over the world have been waiting for. There's an official recommendation that people should be told about the benefits of sex and cognitive functioning in later life. That, you know, this taboo about talking about it, the ageism saying old people don't have sex. You know, nursing homes that think, oh, it's so bad, and they're having to get over this idea that people still sleep together, um, that we need to start counseling people and saying, you know, sex is like physical activity. It's good for you. 
And so that is the recommendation coming out of science. And has the... uh uh, National Council on Aging, for which you are the chairman of the board, taking a position on this? No, this is hot off the press. We have not had that discussion. So, it's, But under the healthy aging section, right. I think you know these are recommendations that are coming out of you know the study, and it's been isolated in, in 10,000. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. So it's got some validity. Well, 66,000 or so saying they actually are, uh, responded to the survey, and 4,000 of those who responded uh, said that's yes right. to sex. That's going to say it as a percentage that was high among yes. those that answered, and most people don't like to talk about right. it. So this is just an area that we rarely talk about, um, and it's nice to see somebody actually taking it seriously and, and looking at what are the benefits you know, of participating in sexual activity in later life. I don't know that you can say sex and longitudinal studies in the same sentence. I don't usually. But that's what epidemiologists are all they, about. They do. so Long term. It's, it's research. Now you know about sex. This fits right into it. And that is social networking, grouping, do it or die. And the reason, which is a really which, strong I know sentence. it is. It's big. So this is another study. And why would I talk about the correlation between joining social groups and death? Join or die. Join or die. And it's because, think about caregivers. So this report is talking about people who are transitioning from work and going into retirement. So many caregivers move out of work, stop working, drop out of all the groups that they belong to as a function of caregiving. So my question, it's not in this study, but my question is, is there a relationship? Because what they found is looking at another large longitudinal study that 25% of Americans who transition into retirement have a significant drop in health. And what they looked at was how many groups were they members of prior to retirement and then how many did they retain were they still members after retirement? And there was a 10% drop in quality of li- reported quality of life for every group that you dropped. So every time you drop out, 10% less wow. happy, 10% less happy. And then tied to longevity, if you had, you know, you cut down by one group, it's an increased 2% risk of death if you drop one of your groups. If you drop, you know, half of your groups, it's 5%. And if you drop all of your groups to which you belong when you retire, it's a 12% increased risk of death. That's a big number. It's a big number. And so so many caregivers and so many people, and caregivers are often reaching retirement age. So we talk about, you know, Jamie talks about, don't isolate, don't isolate, don't isolate. And the loneliness and depression that comes from isolation the anxiety and the risk of death. You know, we are social animals. That's why, you know, you know, I think maybe in the caveman days, we lived in caves together because we're social animals and it's good for us. We protect each other and we support each other. They were the first kibbutz. They were, absolutely. So caregivers and reti- future retirees, if you start joining groups, the risk of mortality risk actually goes down. So if you aren't a joiner now, it's not too late. You can still get back in there and connect socially. I'm not talking about social media. I'm talking about groups. My 95-year-old great aunt just had her 95th birthday party. And she she said, I'm just going to have a small party. She invited 45 people and like 50-something people showed up. All of her groups, her book club, her, you know, uh, worship club, her investment club, her arts and activities club, her swim club. This, this is a person. That's how that's you live cool. to be 95. What about aspirin? A lot of folks, and I'm one, under the recommendation of my physician, Dr. Presses, take an 81 milligram aspirin a day. Should I? Well, according to the New York Times, there is, everybody knew that aspirin was good to protect you against heart disease. We know it protects against cancer, but they have just discovered that it is more beneficial than we would have thought. 
So reducing the risk of particularly gastrointestinal cancers by 15%. So it doesn't affect breast cancer, lung cancer, or prostate cancer as much. But for gastrointestinal cancers, 30,000 deaths a year from those types mm-hmm. and can be reduced 15% by taking wow. low-dose aspirin. But talk it's to your physician Yeah, of course, it. talk to your doctor. Talk to your doctor. We're going to talk with Odell Glenn Jr. about caregiving, his book on caregiver tips. Uh, he's been a caregiver for his mom and dad. We'll talk about how that fell into his lap and how that's working out. You'll hear that right here on 9.30 a.m. The answer on Caregiver, SOS, on air. Did you know there's only one walk to raise funds for seniors and caregivers in our community who are struggling? Join us Saturday, April 30th at 8 a.m. for the WellMed Charitable Foundation's 2016 5K Run Walk for Seniors. Just $25 for pre-registration, $30 on race day. Want to sleep in? Just $25 for sleepwalkers. Seniors age 60 and over, children 10 and younger, run or walk for free. It's all at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex. For registration, wellmedcharitablefoundation.org. We are so pleased you're sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernian, and we are pleased to have Odell Glenn Jr. join us. He is a gentleman who, in a way, fell into caregiving and wrote a book about it. He's not a medical professional, but he's like most caregivers. (laughs) He learned on the job. And, uh, Mr. Glenn, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Ron and Carol, for having me. So tell us the story. You know, life's going pretty good for you, and then... You wake up one day and all of a sudden you discover you're a caregiver. Yeah, um, I was basically a community college professor at a, at a community college um, school in Connecticut, and I was involved in the ministry. I was actually asked to pastor a church, um, and then um, I had to eulogize my sister who passed away from a blood clot. Um, with that said, my parents were getting older, and my dad began to develop memory problems, which we initially thought was just basically old age. But as time went on, I realized I had to take more of the responsibility, and then we went to a neurologist, and he diagnosed Alzheimer's. So that I had to take a 360-degree turn and put a lot of things on hold to move from the north to the south to become a full-time caregiver. So I would say from 2007 to 2009, I was in a whirlwind of transition from state to state and moving to moving. And officially this um, year, I've been a caregiver for nine years and still counting for two parents. Dad is in a nursing home, and Mom now has a touch of dementia. So I'm doing all of that with the two of them. And been a challenge, but I do have some tips to give other caregivers who are going through the same dilemma of how I got through. Fast forward nine years, August of this year, knock on wood, I'll be graduating with a doctorate degree in chemical engineering. Um, I'm ordained in the ministry and now am an author. So I didn't stop my life and just kind of, you know, I saw, I heard the research study on being socially active. I, I agree with that. You have to continue to be active as a caregiver and not give up your social groups. Um, so you work 24-7. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> 
Yeah, caregivers love leap years like this year. It was a February 29. We love that extra day. So, <laughs> so that, that, but, was, um, that was when he finished his book. So, yeah. so, so which year? <laughs> yeah, you've been doing... Actually, the book came out on March 1st, the next day. So uh, well, it's a caregiver's dream. Mm-hmm. So at what point in the last nine years did you say, wait, I have learned so much through my experience. I've got at least 200 ideas, and I need to put them down in a book. So when did you start thinking about writing the book? Was it early on or later on? It was later on. It it really happened December 2014. It was Christmas. I was with my parents. Um, My dad began to act out with the Alzheimer's symptoms, and I said, you know, wait a minute. I'm in a 2015 and forward. It has to be a change. There has to be a purpose of why I'm doing this, and there has to be a purpose or reason behind it. And I began to just say, you know what, I'm going to write. And I just started writing. Writing became very meditative for me as well. And I said, you know what, I'm going to write a book about caregiving. I'm always looking at the latest research on Alzheimer's. Of course, as an engineer, I like to solve problems. And, of course, I want to fix this thing, but, you know, I can't fix this disease when there's still no cure. So in order to do that, it's just my, it was just my human nature to say, I'll write something to let people know how I was able to transition from New York to California to Oregon to South Carolina, um, finish up a doctorate and do well in the ministry and do all that while caring for two parents well, alone. It sounds like so, you're an over, you're an, you were an overachiever to begin with, and then you just lopped this whole full-time <laughs> caregiving job on top of it which is you know pretty amazing uh, because you know we were talking in the opening about how caregivers tend to cut themselves off and and not be engaged isolate 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 and and you've done just the opposite when you started out did you feel like you were the only one going through this did you was there anybody else like you to help you um, well, I do have a brother and sister. They do live in different states, so I really could. I didn't. We don't have a big family, um, so it, basically, I had to kind of do the job myself. So I didn't see a caregiving guide out there. I heard different ones say, "Yeah, my parent went through this. My parent went through this," but there was no guide on basically how to get through everyday um, life. So I kind of took it on myself and just kind of navigated the waters by faith. And I thank God for my faith, which helped me. However, you know, as time went on, I was, I, you know, sometimes you sit back and you say, wow, I'm doing a really great job here. I'm still sane. And they are happy to the degree that they can be. Let me show the world or show people that this can actually be done. You know, when you look at my parents, they look really nice. And, you know, of course, as you know, when you have an Alzheimer's, a brain injury, people always say, oh, you look great on the outside. They don't figure something is wrong, and so they kind of really talk. But on the outside, taking pictures, photographs, putting them on social media, it looks like the perfect family. But dealing with that disease by yourself at 3 in the morning, it's a whole other story. So that was the motivation to say, you know, I'm not one per- a person just to sit. I have been accomplished prior to me being a caregiver, and it was just in me to say, let's let me be the example to show that until there is a cure for this disease, this is how you get through day by day. So, on your on your guide with your 200 tips, it says with healthy lifestyle benefits. So it is it, did you say uh, in your book, do you talk about as a result of doing this, 
you're going to have a healthier lifestyle or do you focus on a healthy lifestyle as a way to get through the caregiving? Yeah, it's actually both, a little bit of both, but I throw in the nerd in me threw in a chapter on healthy eating and essential oil benefits. I do research at the university with essential oils and they do have some medical benefits, although they're not proving um, by the pharmaceutical companies that they do, but um, so you're into I, aromatherapy? Yeah, yeah, aromatherapy. Peppermint oil, um, lavender oil do have bacterial benefits and, and antibacterial effects well, that I, I personally um, have been a testimony to. Well, so and I'm gonna, are, let me just, I just want to point out, because you can't see me smiling, this big smile on my face, <laughs> you've named about three things so far that the Walmart Charitable Foundation, we have a stress management program where we teach stress management for caregivers, for those caring for someone with Alzheimer's and another for chronic conditions. And and you, you've named journaling. That's a stress reduction technique. We okay. have a, a chapter on aromatherapy, and you just named the oils that we use. So, right. you know, you, you I, are you sure you didn't go to the University of Texas Health Science Center because <laughs> it's like you're quoting from the curriculum? No, I'm an everyday caregiver that uses wow. these products, and this is the reason why I'm writing the book, because they, they've helped me and benefited All right, stay with us just a minute. I want to let folks know who just joined us that they're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You can hear podcasts of our shows, by the way, all of the shows available on podcast. Just go to caregiversos.org. This show will be up about a week after you hear it on the radio, and you can download it, share it with friends and neighbors, and, and listen to all the other shows that we have done. We're talking with Odell Glenn, a caregiver, wrote a book on caregiving, cared for his mom and dad. and uh, Still has, caring. Still. still caring. Dad's in a nursing home, but mom is at home now developing some dementia. Uh, Odell, without uh, knowing more, you strike me uh, as a guy who can do a Rub- Rubik's Cube in about 20 seconds. <laughs> Um, basically, I like to solve problems, whether they're mathematical science or political or just everyday life problems. I'm a problem solver. And not to say that I always come up with the right answers, but I get bored really easy. Well, you got two master's degrees, one in manufacturing systems and one in electrical engineering. Talk about problem solving. That's all you do. Yeah, I, I you know, I like to stay challenged, and that re- challenge requires a lot of focus. How about two parents with Alzheimer's? That'll help you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that has been the hardest problem to solve. But <laughs> um, I think I've been able to manage it in a way that hasn't burnt me out as well as um, caused any health challenges on myself. Well, so, let's get some tips. You, you, you mentioned aromatherapy. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, as you cataloged and ended up with 200 tips. What are the things you learned as you got into this? Uh, you learned about yourself, you learned about your parents, you learned about the interaction that you've now put into practice. Um, one of the tips, or several of the tips, um, tells the caregivers to go and get some counseling or jo- uh, join a support group. You know, prior to me being a caregiver, I never thought I would ever needed that, or I always thought that was I, it was a status quo it was for someone else or someone who had mental problems or thing. But, you know, being able to talk emotions out and being other around other people who are going through the same thing, those are some that is one of the main things that's really helped me um, 
to get through some of these things. Another um, tip, and I'm going to read tip number 85. It says avoid caregiver burnout and be realistic. Ask yourself these questions. Can you really work a full-time job, look after children, and care for your ailing loved ones simultaneously? It may be probable or not. Create a to-do list of the tasks you will be responsible for. Revise the list often and avoid being too rigid. You know, being a caregiver, there's 20-plus things you have to do um, with respect to three schedules, my mom, dad, and my schedule each day. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, can I really do all the things that need to be done? So that tip is just telling people to don't be too rigid. You have to be versatile as a caregiver. Um, another thing that I learned was, you know, as I mentioned, in tip number 91, caregivers found participating in a support group is critical lifeline. Support groups allow caregivers to take a break, express concerns, share experiences, and receive emotional comfort. In other words, don't become an island all to yourself. Reach out to family, friends, support groups, counselors, and other caregivers for support. You know, for those caregivers out there who are the only child and who have to be the one who takes responsibility with no other help, you know, this tip is especially good for you. You have to reach out. And another tip, I tell people, it's okay to say no. You know, sometimes you can't do everything all at once. You have to get some aroma, aromatherapy. You have to get away. You have to take a vacation in order to get strength to do. And one last thing I want to share is that I also mentioned that caregivers should invest in long-term care insurance. We don't think about that sometimes until it's too late, but that should be something that should be of high priority for example, if you don't have children, you don't have a spouse, you know, God forbid, you have to ask yourself, who's going to take care of you? And do you have the means to be put in a nursing home or have someone come into your home? All right, hold that thought. We're going to come family. right back at you. and Stay with us. We're talking with Odell Glenn, Jr. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. We are having a fascinating conversation about caregiving and caregiver tips, talking with Odell Glenn Jr. about his experience, mild-mannered engineer working away somewhere in the north, ends up going south to care for two parents, dad with Alzheimer's, mother now developing uh, dementia, dad now in a nursing home, mom still at home. And so he did what everyone with two master's degrees in engineering would do. He wrote a book, 200 Caregiver Tips and with Healthy Lifestyle Benefits. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Uh, Odell, we're up to the point now where we've been talking about some of the tips that uh, that you had. Uh, one thing I haven't heard you mention yet that we often talk about on Caregiver SOS on air, uh, in addition to being able to say no, caregivers need to be able to ask for help, do they not? Yes, most definitely. And don't I tell caregivers in the book, don't be afraid to reach out to your next door neighbor, someone in your church, in your community. Sometimes there's community centers for seniors where someone can come in and give you a hand for a couple of hours. There's licensed and bonded caregiving services that can alleviate the stress. I do understand that sometimes it's twenty dollars an hour, which is a bit a bit pricey, especially if you don't have income coming in. But Anybody, even a child that's a high school senior that may want extra money, 
at a lower rate, please ask for help because you need to take care of yourself. You need to go to the doctor. You need exercise and you need a break. It's great advice. Um, it is more expensive to use a, a formal license in bonded home health, but supposedly there are protections there. Um, right. If you don't know somebody personally, uh, you know, because you can ask friends and neighbors if they know someone who provides care and hire someone independently. Um, there's some risk associated with that, but you can also be successful and probably get a lower rate. And when yeah. you brought someone into the home, uh, how did your folks react to that? Because sometimes especially people with Alzheimer's, become somewhat paranoid. Yeah, I always was basically there to introduce mom and dad to the person, and I always made sure the, the company was licensed and bonded to protect myself. And there were other times when I used private, but it was always with someone I knew that I can trust. So sometimes you just have to walk by faith. And those times when I did use it, it was very successful. I mean, just a couple of hours and maybe a day or so. Um, other than that, I do use my sister who um, who lives in another state, and she'll allow them to come for a week, and that le- relieves stress as well. So sometimes you, you have to go walk by faith, but you definitely need to do that because else your own health will fail if you're not out being social, if you're not exercising, if you're not going to the doctor. If you're not eating right, you will fail 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days if you don't take those precautions. Well, we know on average many, many caregivers predecease the people for whom they're caring for the yeah. reasons you're talking about. Yeah, that that's one of the things I do mention in the book. You don't want to leave before um, your care, the care person, the person that you're caring for Checks um, out. I am involved in Toastmasters. I make sure I'm involved in these social media outlets and social community groups. I'm involved in my community, um, a nonprofit community outreach in my area. You know, going to the college and just studying with other people, it it's my outlet. Right. So these are ways in which I'm preventing myself from ever falling into that. And then sometimes I have a faith and I trust God to take what I can't control, I put my small hands in his big hands, and it's worked out for the past nine years. So, Well, um, tell us a little bit. So we talked about, you know, reaching out for help, support groups, taking care of your health. Um, what are, are some other key tips that are out of your list of 200 that you haven't told us about? Okay, I have one. Um, tip number 82. This is interesting. Turn off the television for extended periods of time. According to research from the School of Population Health at the University of Queensland, Australia, every hour of TV you watch after age 25 cuts your lifespan by 22 minutes. You know, most caregivers say, well, I can't do anything else. I'm just going to sit and watch the television. You should really stay away from that um, because, again, it cuts your lifespan by 22 minutes. Tip number 83, be realistic about how much of your time and yourself you can give. Set clear limits and communicate those limits to doctors, family members, and other people who you who are involved. Again, this is just going back to um, being realistic. When you feel like you're getting caregiver burnout, um, you really have to say, 
I have to step back. Some caregivers I've talked to say they go outside and just walk, walk around in circles just for any mechanism to relieve stress. Well, did you, okay, you mentioned... number 81, wait, wait, listen oh, oh. to fellow caregivers talk about their day-to-day experiences through support groups. You can come up with new and effective ideas to lessen your burden. Exchange phone numbers and emails with other caregivers for support. Again, hang on one, hang on one second. Network. Hang on a minute, because Carol's got a couple questions. You're going through these, but we, we got a couple questions as you go through them. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, you mentioned um, your experience with doctors uh, and do you, I was just wondering, did the doctors, when you're going with your father and your mother to the to the doctor's office on physician visits, do they talk to you about your needs? Do they ask you about your caregiving? Do they ask you how you were doing? Unfortunately, no, and that is a problem. Um, there's no research much on the health of caregivers and what effect it does. I've never gotten asked any questions about myself. Were they, and did they ask you what are you willing to do and what are you able to do, you know, taking care of your, your dad? They basically said continue what you're doing, you're doing a great job and that was the extent of it. Right. And so that's so. a you know, that's a big hole um, that so many physicians I think fall into that trap of everybody's so focused on patient centered care um, as opposed to family centered care and thinking about that caregiver and how that caregiver is that patient's lifeline. I mean, I'm sure your father, before you put him into a nursing home, was really relying you on you for just about everything. I bathed. I cleaned the floor. I put his clothes on. It was basically everything. Um, and I did have him in a daycare center during the day so I can continue um, employment. But yeah, which Nine is fantastic. to five during the weekends. I didn't have a weekend. It was constant. And then my mom, who's up in age, she's 81 now. She was doing a lot of work to the best of her ability. It was it was it was a, it was a challenge in the house. Did, did you ever um, did you ever want to say, "I'm done. I'm out of here." Call your sister and say, "Key is under the mat. I'll call you in a year." I. I, I don't know. My faith kept me going to say, these are my parents. I can't do that. You know, they invested so much time in me, and they put, basically, my father, before he passed away, told me he wanted me to be the power of attorney. So I don't know if he already knew something was happening. So with that type of responsibility, I, I just kind of made a commitment that it had to be done. Now, there are days when there's an emotional stress. And I'm praying to God, like Jesus did, take this cup from me, from me, but not my will, nevertheless thy will be done. Because it gets to those points where it's just like, God, there is no cure. No one has ever been healed. What is going on here? But my faith and prayer and consistent um, researching the disease is, is, has been what's kept me. And... Well, I think it's amazing. I mean, you can hear in your voice, you know, that you you have a positive attitude um, and all the activities that you're involved in, uh, that you're caring for both parents, that you have learned, you know, very well things that professionals, you know, try to imbue it to other caregivers to take care of themselves. Um, and you learned it all through doing and through reading and, and you know, on this journey by yourself. So I, I think you have to give yourself a big pat on the back. And I bet um, if 
people were to look at your 200 tips, there's some pretty good advice in that because it sounds like you're covering many of the bases. Yeah, and I just want to let people know, um, in tip 126, this is about eating. You can become a caregiver and sit and watch television and just eat pints of ice cream because of emotional or depression. But tip number 126 says the healthiest food to order when you are at a fast food restaurant includes a veggie burger, mushroom burger, garden salad, English muffin, or baked potato with salsa. You may have to shop around because most fast food outlets do not have this type of food on a menu. When you're caregiving, it's easy for you to become depressed and just kind of let yourself go. But again, healthy eating is the key to living longer. And is I believe it's the cause, unhealthy eating is the cause to some of the diseases that we have. What about so, exercise? You know, I, exactly. Do you exactly. do exercise too? Exercise as well. I put exercise in the book as well. I used to be a runner, track runner some years ago. So I get out there sometimes and run. I don't have the time like I used to, but I get what's called the runner's high, and it takes me into another zone. So exercise and um, aromatherapy, massages, all of those things that you used to do, please, caregivers, continue to do that because it does help in the long run. Well, I have to ask, what is tip number 200 in the book? Okay. <laughs> tip number 200 is a part of the chapter called Caregiving Rewards. You know, we talk about all of the different um, things that caregivers go through, but there are some rewards in it. And I put, and of course, because I'm a scientific person, this would be tip number 200. Just as gravity pulls objects to the center of the earth, there is also a law for sowing and reaping. As you sow in love and care, you will soon reap a harvest. And it ends off with the scripture, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, Galatians 6 and 9. Mm -hmm. So, caregivers, what you're doing is from the heart. You've given up a career. Some of you have actually given up spouses and entertainment to care for someone else. And I believe that when you sow, you also reap, and you reap bountifully and blessings. Yeah, you must get a very positive response when you uh, lead a, a service in a congregation uh, from folks who are sitting there who probably are much older than you who are also caregivers. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an encourager. That's my gift, encouraging people and using my life as an example. You know. Now, were your folks and, that way? Yeah, it, it helps a lot of people, and I'm, I'm honored to be able to do such, such a thing. Tell so, us a little bit, we don't have a lot of time left, about your mom and dad. Who were they before the disease hit? Oh, my God. If I could, I could go on and on, but they were the sweetest couple. They've been married 62, actually 63 years this year. Um, first marriages, they had four children. Mom was a decorator, church decorator. She was a daycare worker at a school, and she retired in 1999. Um, everyone loved her. Students actually still, who are, who've gone on to medical school, law school, just know her as a bucket full of love. Dad was a, tr a truck driver for the Long Island Railroad in New York City. Mm. And he also was a chauffeur at an Italian restaurant in New York. Um, all of the children on um, 
where we lived in New York City, loved him. He was a mentor, a father figure to a lot of people, and both of them were very active in the church. They were just loving people, and people don't stay married for 63 years like that. Well, unfortunately... We owned a house with a backyard basketball court in the city of New York City, wow. which was very rare. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're both from the South, and this, which is why we relocated back to the South. Well, but, uh, if, you know... So- so tell I, us where. So tell us where. If people want it, we're running out of time. Okay. Where can people find your book if they're interested? If you want to purchase the book, it's a great book. It's on my website www.ogcaregiving.com. That's www. O as an octopus, G as in good, caregiving, C-A-R-E-G-I-V-I-N-G dot com. Well, thank you. Got to stop you. Got to stop you right there. Odell Glenn Jr., we really appreciate you coming on, and thank you very much. We look forward to talking with you again soon. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Take 10 up next. Did you know there's only one walk to raise funds for seniors and caregivers in our community who are struggling? Join us Saturday, April 30th at 8 a.m. for the WellMed Charitable Foundation's 2016 5K Run Walk for Seniors. Just $25 for pre-registration, $30 on race day. Want to sleep in? Just $25 for sleepwalkers. Seniors age 60 and over, children 10 and younger, run or walk for free. It's all at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex. For registration, wellmedcharitablefoundation.org. At the end of each of our Caregiver SOS programs, we bring you Take 10, which is a marvelous opportunity to hear us bat around a topic that may be of interest to a whole lot of folks. We think it will be. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert in caregiving as well as addictions. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, and me, I'm Ron Aaron. And Carol, um, you've been having nightmares you know, Ron, it's funny you should mention that. So, okay, Jamie, the, you can hang your sign out. The The therapist is in, but this is what's going on. So, um, as you know, uh, my, my father, my sister, and I take care of my mother who has Alzheimer's. And she has been, it's been one of those transitional periods where we have moved her from the home into, we're on our third place that she has lived in a month. So, it hasn't gone well. And I found out that throughout this last month, both my sister, my father, and I are having nightmares all night, every night. And um, this is just, it's all three of us. So I was wondering, you know, what is, why are we having nightmares? You know, what is causing them? You know, what is that, what is it telling us? Well, you know, Carol, nightmares are are normal okay let me first clear up for you and for caregivers out there uh they're part of a, a lingering sort of bereavement if you will or even the the re-experience of, of events that you you just went through in fact in amarillo not long ago um you your sister your father all of you have gone through a fairly traumatic time and without getting into deep deep uh sort of you know things that occurred there because that's not what the show is about of course it's about how we can offer help. Um, I can flat out tell you, you all have gone, walked through the fire zone and have come out the other side. So nightmares and, and anxiety and panic, it's, it's all pretty normal. 
So, so the panic is normal, um, and the nightmares are no, normal. So in my dreams are kind of classic, where I'm the house is off its foundation. I'm in the house. It's being swept away in the water, and I'm trying to stop the house before it gets to the ocean. Same dream every night. No, there's a lot of water. I have a lot of water in my particular dreams. Well, dreams are beautiful sort of ways to get to the, to the unconscious, and, and obviously you're feeling out of control, and, and you have a very, very difficult time, as all of us caregivers do, in, in this issue around control. I mean, this is one of those things God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is a time when caregivers cannot control as well as in any way, shape, or form. But what they can control is their own mind, their own body, and their own soul as they're going through this sort of war zone that your whole family has. So is there anything that we can do before we go to sleep at night to, you know, tell ourselves that we're doing the best we can and, you know, I don't know, to give ourselves some reassurance. How do we go from, you know, the nightmare zone where they were all seem to be stuck in to back to, I won't say normal because you said nightmares are normal, but to no, the non-scary kind of dreams. Kind of running through meadows with flowers and butterflies. <laughs> yeah, there there well, are no butterflies. You know, mindfulness obviously is a huge antidote for that. But I, I will also mention to you that um, the sleep hygiene at this particular critical point in time is very, very important, that literally, you know, taking care of, of your sleep patterns before you go to sleep, making sure you turn off televisions at least, you know, 45 minutes before you fall asleep, listening to guided image, uh, meditation or, or imagery, if you will, that's, that comes across as a wonderful, wonderful application called Insight Timer that I would absolutely recommend everybody to and, get so for $4.95. That's an app on a phone? Pardon me? It's an app on a phone? Yeah, it's a wonderful app on the phone, and it's got so much content, and it's got so many places to go where to help you sleep or if you're having nightmares or meditations, if you will, that as you go to sleep with, with the earphone or, or let's say just you know a bud, if you will, in your ears, you're listening, it helps you kind of get into the sleep patterns. But understand right now sleep hygiene is critical and because anxiety is occurring, and if anxiety is occurring, obviously – you really have to prepare for it. What is sleep hygiene? Well, sleep hygiene is literally, um, if anybody, and I'm one of those two over the years have had difficult times with sleep or to prepare yourself not to have anxiety as you go to sleep or, as Carol says, that I'm going to have a nightmare or I'm going to have this occur or that occur. Sometimes you really have to prepare ahead of time before you go to sleep. You know, make sure your room is uncluttered. Make sure your television is off. Make sure when you lay down and relax you you have let's say something first to read and then like i mentioned the guided meditation that allow you to go to sleep um acute anxiety under what carol and her whole family has gone through ron is is pretty natural but there are things that we can do certainly around sleep that will lessen it and of course if it continues it continues you definitely want to get an assessment evaluation and talk to either a good sleep specialist who's a neurologist or a good psychiatrist also who can help you with this issue. So in, you know, in my particular dreams, there's a gamut of emotions. So I can, you know, I have the, I'm afraid, I have the anxiety, I have the, you know, the dream where I'm really mad and I'm angry. Um, so are all of those emotions that are in our dreams, is that, you know, are those just a reflection of what I'm really feeling inside? I mean, is it like one for one or is it symbolic of something else? 
They're symbolic, and I don't, you know, we don't have a long time to obviously go through dream interpretation, but Carl Jung would say that they are projections of what's going on inside your own psyche, so that these things projecting are, are happening, and they're projecting into your dreams. You know, the anger that you have, it's, it's really not anger at anybody out there. It's probably, you know, anger you're feeling, which is something we do to ourselves. We kind of beat ourselves up in this whole process, like we could do more, like we could, you know, so we get angry at ourselves. Or the sadness that we feel in our dreams for others is really a projection of the sadness we may feel for ourselves. So I really always really uh, recommend that a good Jungian trained therapist, and there are many of them out there, uh, who are, I think, specialized in dream interpretations, is, is a place to go. And again, if you go to like Psychology Today and put your zip code in, uh, you probably could come up with people who are actually excellent in terms of dream interpretation. But, but they are a roadmap, Carol, to your own mental health, and that's the beauty of dreams and even nightmares. Are your sisters' and fathers' nightmares similar? Well, we... They, they are similar in that they are, dis, you know, similarly disturbed. You know, I can remember one of mine, I was back in class and I was having to learn German, but the German, you know, which I'm terrible at, I took German in college. So it wasn't math class, it was German class. And then they had removed the German words and put symbols for the German words, which of course meant absolutely nothing. So, you know, and my father is, um, can't get to my mother. Uh, and I think my sister's pretty angry <laughs> most of her dreams. Wow. So, and, but and it's, it's, are you waking your husband up? Or are you, you waking up thrashing? Or I don't think I thrash, but I wake up often, and when I wake up, I go back to sleep, and another nightmare stops. So it's one nightmare starts. at... Yeah, it starts, sorry. It's one nightmare very, after another. You know, Carol, these are very important things to attend to. Um, it's, uh, uh, again, uh, without getting... In fact, Carol, go right to a hospital. He's like, check yourself no, in. Not. The beauty of this is that, uh, you know, anybody who can assist you in a very therapeutic, safe environment with a background in trauma, don't forget, you went through what I would clearly tell you is like almost a PTSD, a post-traumatic stress response to what you witness with your family, and most caregivers do. Well, she's mentioned about her mom going into the hospital. She's talked about that on the air. But, right. But, but we well, don't need to go into detail. Yeah, in, in that respect, though, it is a trauma, and it's a trauma for the whole family, and trauma works its way through the system, and it's happening through your dreams or your nightmares. And just so the caregivers who are listening to us know that there's extraordinarily remedied sort of ways to go down this road. You have a therapist down the street who is, is excellent, and that's a safe, safe, safe space to allow these emotions to come out. And if they're skilled in dream interpretation as well, it'll accelerate the healing. Yeah. I, I didn't hear you mention NyQuil or alcohol. No, well, you know, that's called a refuge. And, and obviously, it's uh, I'm not here to get on the sermon and tell people what to use as a refuge. But mindfulness and meditation is also a refuge. And uh, a refuge is some place where you find a safe place from the storm. Right. Um, so if you're going through depression or if you're going through anxiety or going through sleep disturbance issues, uh, obviously it's much more prescribed to, to try the, the homeopathic, holistic approach. Well, so for the caregivers that are listening, I only bring this up simply because it's it was the whole family. You know, this is it's mm -hmm. temporary. And I think all of us wake up every morning acknowledging we know where that's coming from. Um, we know it's our way of processing and dealing with it. But for caregivers who are, are disturbed by their dreams when it feels like it's out of control, you know, I agree, Jamie. If it keeps going on forever, I, you know, I'm going to look for something else, and I'm going to take you up on that meditation. But remember, Carol, also, and real quickly, this is not only about the present. They trigger also fear and control issues and things that happen as a child. Got to stop you right there. We're flat out of time. Why we need to get into therapy. 
We're going to get her there. In fact, I'll drive her right after the show. (laughs) Dr. Jamie, we'll be back with Take 10 next week right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel, 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.